Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel back with Elias Randall. I got a question for you, Eli. I usually ask how you're doing, but... Yeah, please don't ask me how I'm doing. I'm not going to anymore. I'm always doing the same. I'm doing good. I've heard it a bunch of times. Hey, um... Excellent. I have a question. Do you know what phantom debt is? Yeah. You do? You really? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. Well, what's phantom debt? So I know what debt is. I guess I, when you say phantom debt, I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. So um, I didn't either. I just ran across an article. I'm like, well, what's this? It's buy now, pay later. You've seen that, right? I know what that is too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like modern layaway. Like you know, you buy something, you just kind of you get it, you pay. Actually, it's not even really like layaway, right? Because you're getting the good and then you're paying it off over yeah, time. Yeah. So I was always under the assumption. That that was like just applying for credit, right? Like, I've you never think. used it, but I'm like, well, yeah. That so you probably click on it. You got to fill out a credit application, and they give you like, it's like a quasi credit card, right? I would think. Apparently, it's not. Apparently, shows you how much debt I'm using. But apparently, <laughs> it's they just give it to you. They don't report to a credit bureau. Most of them, they don't pull your credit. There's no carb credit pull. So it's estimated that like people have, there's a Wells Fargo analyst um, who was talking about this. And apparently there's a thought that people have way more debt than what's actually being reported. So buy now. So when you buy now, pay later, you're borrowing, you're borrowing money, but there's just there's no credit check. There's no reporting that to the credit bureau or wherever nope. all that stuff gets reported. Nope. It's kind of a new industry. It's the fastest growing, you know, market segment. But uh, this the senior economist at Wells Fargo is Tim Quinlan. Um, he's he's the one who said, "Hey, this phantom debt actually could become a problem because they're not reporting it." So what happens is we know that credit card uh, balances hit the highest ever. That was like, what, like three months ago? So you run out of credit card debt. What do you do next? Buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later. And if you're going to borrow for a house or buy a car and you're going to have to get credit, this could actually be a problem. I didn't really even think about this because, once again, I was under the assumption because I don't really live in that world of buy now, pay later, that it would be reported to a credit bureau, but if it's not, it's estimated debt could be fourteen percent higher than it really is on all on all consumer debt right now. Yeah, holy, that's crap. huge. That's a big number. That's a really big number. <laughs> really big number. <laughs> it's gonna get bigger. It's fastest yeah. growing, fastest growing new industry. And I got and I started thinking about it, like why anybody would do that. Well, think about. All the business cares about that's selling you the item. They only really care about one thing, sales. The person, the company selling the item doesn't care if you pay the creditor. They only care they made a sale because that's what they're going to report to their shareholders on their quarterly earnings calls. Well, and I'll give you an example. One of the places I go to, it's a fishing place, and they specialize in high-priced electronics. Okay. Like if you go look for electronics for fishing, spending three to 5,000 bucks for one, 
unit is nothing. Like it's 3000 bucks minimum to get a good unit and transducer and all that. Well, how many people, and let me preface it. Most boats have two or three. So to go put new electronics on a boat, you're probably looking at seven to $15,000 in electronics. How many people can go stroke the check for 15 grand? I I'm guessing not every fisherman out there. Most. That you can buy now and you can pay later. But go look at all these boats. They have four or five of these units on them. Because guess what they can do, apparently? Smash the buy now, pay later button. Yeah, you can get financing without any of the uh, like traditional things required to get financing. Which is why it's called phantom debt, because nobody knows that you have it. I just don't see that lasting. That can't last. That's not, not going to last because people, but, like, if we, there's all this phantom debt out there, like, how's the car dealership going to know when people go buy a car? This that's other, the problem. Other debt. How's the bank going to know when you go to buy a house? They're not. When you need a personal loan for something, like, it's just not. That's like, I feel like this is operating in a gray area. Well, apparently it's so new. There is actually very little. I, I went after I read this article. I went and pulled another article on it, and it just says that it's so new that it's really kind of flying under the radar. It's not going to fly under for long because it's going to lead to people defaulting and they made it super easy. And I've seen it on all of these websites now with anything that's of substantial value. Hmm. That's interesting. I guess I haven't noticed. I don't do a whole lot of online shopping though. So it would not be surprising that I haven't seen this. I'm sure the things I do buy online I'm guessing it's offered. I probably just don't pay attention or I know I've never clicked on it because I've never, I've never done the buy now, pay later option. I did. I did. As I read through this article, there are some credit bureaus that are starting to want to divulge it. So it looks like a Experian plans uh, to have a specialty bureau to hold buy now, pay later data. So experience like one of the large credit reporting agencies, Equifax plans to add the information to credit reports and TransUnion said it will partition off the data on core credit reports. So the good news is hopefully it's at least being reported. Maybe it won't affect your credit score, but at least it's going to get reported because that's the issue is we don't know how much is out there. So on the buy now, pay later deals, is it an interest rate you're being charged or is it just? Or is it, it's a, is it a price? It's just a special type of financing. So they usually, there's not any interest on it. So it's no interest. No interest. So it's way more attractive than a credit card. Um, as long as the full amount is repaid and due within that time frame. So I'm guessing it's like this, Elias. And like I said, I haven't used it. Remember back in the day when you go to Best Buy to buy a TV and they give you 18 months no interest? Yes. You make your payment on time. No, but yes. <laughs> I forgot. I'm too old. You didn't ever buy a TV at Best Buy. So I made this mistake. Just got married, got the new house. Best Buy. 18 months, no interest. I'm like, oh, okay. So just make the minimum payment, go along. Guess what happens at month 19? Ooh, did you, you didn't pay it off in 18 months? I didn't months. know you had to. No one told me that. I didn't oh, read the fine at print. At that time, you didn't know that you get charged all the interest. all the back interest got added up at eighteen percent a year. So Holy I got moly. I got to pay the stupid tax, and uh, 
Yeah, so I was, I'm like, oh, I figure out this scam. I'm guessing this is the same way. Like, if you don't pay it, some giant balloon interest hits in the end, just like the Best Buy credit card. Am I yeah, so then there's lots think, of all those cards so work like that. I wonder the third. Okay, so do you think I'd be curious to know how the third party running it, it's actually making money? Because do they get like a discounted wholesale? They got to get price a on the good, and then like there's some margin in there that they can work with, or just is it only people that go beyond the term? I don't, it'd be interesting to know how they actually make their money. I'm guess I'm guessing there's a fee paid by the seller. It's got to be something. So, yeah, Elias, I, I think that the way these are making money, it's it's built into the, you know, commissions and fees um, at the upfront levels, how they're actually making the money on the buy now, pay later. But I just thought it was interesting because we talk about people getting out of debt. And, uh, I mean, apparently there's all kinds of phantom debt out there that's just floating around. I never... I didn't even know it existed, to be totally honest with you. I mean, I knew what buy now, pay later was, but I didn't realize none of this was reported. Nobody knows how much debt these people have, and estimated that people have 14% more debt than it's actually reported. Yeah, part of me is actually shocked to hear that that's going on. But and it, and then the other part of me is like, I guess I'm not that shocked because there's always something in the gray going on no matter what. Yeah, it's something in the gray, then it gets regulated, and yeah, you know, I'm sure it's going to come. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? The financial professionals at Premier Investments and Wealth Management are the guides you've been looking for. Picture this, a financial plan tailored exclusively to you. Our team of experienced professionals will work closely with you to understand your aspirations and develop a personalized roadmap to get you there. Whether you're dreaming of retirement, buying a new home, or sending your kids to college, we've got the tools to give you confidence in your financial life. We'll help you navigate saving and investing, retirement income, and tax strategies. Our job is not just about making money. It's about helping our clients make smart choices. We'll provide you with the tools and knowledge to confidently steer your financial ship toward a brighter future. Are you ready to embark on your financial journey with confidence? Visit www.btwealthshow.com or click the link in the description of this podcast. Your financial future awaits. The other thing I thought that was interesting is there was an article out on Yahoo Finance that uh, talks about just efficiency and what companies are trying to do for 2024. And if you think about the last, man, for as long as I can remember, it's always been about growth, growth, growth. Apparently, this is the year that companies are going to focus on efficiency more than growth, which makes total sense. And I think we've actually talked about this on several episodes before, but you know, when money's free, when lending, when they'll lend you money at very low interest rates, people are going to borrow to grow. Well, rates have gone up higher and companies still need to show increased profitability. So what do you do then? You get creative and you start cutting back and look at efficiency. You know, I think you coined the phrase a couple of years ago that do you really think American companies are going to get worse at making money in the future? And it doesn't no. always have to be growth. They get innovative and they start to get more efficient. And I think that's, I look at our business. We spent 2023 figuring out how to get more efficient, right? We really did. We said, what are the things we're spending money on that we don't need to? And where can we reallocate them? or reallocate those dollars to build more growth. 
you know, we don't have shareholders. I, I'm the shareholder. But our whole idea is how do we allocate dollars that we don't have to spend to places that we could spend to drive growth, which is just efficiency. It is. And I think the other challenge a lot of almost all companies are facing is we had inflation, right? So that helps your revenue, but your top line revenue anyway. But I think the one area, so, you know, wage inflation is still out there. So I think that's probably part of this too, where companies are looking at, you know, we're still not, we still have a high demand for labor. We're still being required to pay people more. So they're trying to find, they're, they're just trying to find how are we going to do this efficiently? Because, and especially with the publicly traded companies at the end of the day, they're, they have to show the shareholders that they can make money and be profitable. And, you know, increasing wages are good for, um, for workers. It's, but you got it. There's only so much money there too. So I think, I think this is going to be something that's talked a lot about in 2024. Cause they're, you know, there's gonna, I think there's gonna be plenty of revenue out there for companies to make, um, how profitable and what their margins are could be a different, that's probably what they're looking at. Right. They're like, how are we going to take this money and still be profitable with it well, when we got to fill all these jobs and we got to pay people more money and, and whatever it may be. And it's just, it's about deliver results to shareholders and you know, that trickles down to the individual investor. And I think we talk a lot on the show about financial planning and why personal advice is important and what personal advice really leads to do for people. Elias, what it helps them do when they build the financial plan, it allows them to become a good investor or a better investor. And, you know, I think there are some key components to becoming a good investor. You know, people think about Warren Buffett, arguably one of the greatest investors of all time, right? Mm-hmm. He's not sitting around day trading. That's not why he's a good investor. He's reading research reports and he's spending his time researching and figuring out why he believes one company is better than the other, he's not making more trades. And I think there's this false sense of reality in the investment community that more is better. Like you, you have to make so many trades to be a better investor. And that's not really the case. No, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think making more trades uh, I think there's probably an argument to be made that even if you are a trader, there's an argument to be made at times that you shouldn't be doing any trading. Sometimes the best trade is the one you don't make. Yeah. And it's not every, and I don't think trading is, I think it's too, it's a too simplified view to, to think, okay, I'm going to, every day I'm going to listen to CNBC and trade my accounts and make money. There might not be a profitable trade on a daily basis. Here's what people have to delineate. Are you a trader or an investor? That's a good question. Trading's exciting, right? You get to make lots of trades and do lots of stuff and press the buttons and feel like you're in the fast paced zone and most traders don't make any money. Or are you an investor? Because what investing really is for the most part, it's pretty boring. Uh, for, yeah, for most I successful mean, investors, yeah. Think about how boring investing really is, Elias. So you save up your first 10000 and the market goes up 15%. You made 1500 bucks. Is that exciting? No. No. You get to 100000 Probably not even noticeable. At, right. And 
then you get to a hundred thousand and oh my account went up ten thousand. Is that actually exciting? No, it's not. Like you might be like, oh, that was cool. But then you hit a million and your account goes up a hundred thousand when the market goes up ten. And you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. Like maybe it gets exciting when you hit critical mass. Not that many people get to critical mass at a point in their life when it would actually be exciting. Right? No, they don't. So mm-hmm. I think if you think about it, there's really like four, what I'm going to call boring pillars to investing. Just four things that set you up to be a good investor. And the first one is you just have to invest regularly. Like just dollar cost averaging a bunch of money in over a long period of time, which is what you're doing in your 401k. It's the reason the 401k assets, the largest asset for most people, because you paid yourself first, it came out of your paycheck, you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to set anything up, especially now, because it's automatic enrollment. Boring is the first pillar to being a great investor. Here's what happens. When the market goes up, it's easy to be a trader, because everything's going up. So in 2023, it was pretty easy to be a trader. Yeah, correct. Um, to think about all the people. What happens so, when it goes down? Because the hardest thing to do is to sell a loser. Well, and most people don't know. A lot of people, they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to trade, sell out of a loser. They're either going to wait and they're going to wait too long. Um, well, and It's just harder to do. And you've it, also, a lot of times... You put on a trade, It's you spent all this time convincing yourself it was a good idea, and now it's not a good idea and it's going against you. You already have all this bias built up from all the things you read and everything you thought about it. So now you got to tell yourself you're wrong. How many people like to tell themselves they're wrong? Nobody. Hey, yeah, Nobody. No you one. have to no basically say, to I was that. wrong. So you admit defeat. But here's the second part is now it's dead money, right? Because something else is going up. So people have limited amount of capital. So I I had someone tell me they were going to do this trading strategy. And if it went down, they just hold on to it. I'm like, but what happens if they all become losers? Like if they're all underwater. Yeah, what was the answer? It hadn't been thought about. (laughs) Well, yeah, because their recency bias was telling them these are all good ideas. You got it. So that's where delineate, are you a trader or an investor? So one dollar cost averaging likely over time is going to do better than any trading strategy. Dollar cost averaging is super boring, right? It's a little bit of money over a long period of time. Nothing exciting about it. It's not coming up with big 15 and 20 and 50 and hundred thousand dollar checks to put into stuff. It's like cracking away 500 bucks a week or whatever the number is you're doing. And think of all the investors, like of all the investors. And when we had the bear market, in 2022, if you dollar cost average that year and you maxed out two different, you max out like a an IRA and a 401k, you're probably looking pretty good. You're probably like, oh man, I'm doing really good right now. You made a bunch of good buys. And your accounts and, probably look pretty nice. And it took no like research as to when you should buy. It was just buy all the time. Right, another thing and we'll get into these other parts of this too. The, the other thing, investing regularly when the market approaches again, another all-time high, which all-time highs are, it's a persistent number, meaning it happens and then it happens again, it happens again, it will happen again in the future. Well, then people start to say, well, the market's too high for me to buy. 
right now. And the other thing we know, especially early on in bull markets, is a market makes it hard to get in. And that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean there won't be any selling. Like we talk about all the time, from the high to the low of the year, the average is thirteen or fourteen percent. The drawdown from the drawdown every every single year. Here's what we don't know. One, we don't know when what days those are gonna be. We don't know what day is gonna have the high close. We don't know what day is gonna have the low closing value. And we don't know the sequence in which we're going to get there. All we really know is the difference between the high and the low on average is 13% in the ballpark of. And if you're investing regularly and continuing to buy, you're, basic, you're basically just eliminating, you're eliminating yourself from being too greedy or too fear, fearful to be a successful investor at certain times. The, the second, what I'd call boring pillar is diversification. So here's why diversification is boring. And diversification just means owning a lot of different investments. It doesn't mean a lot of different investment funds. Okay. So the first thing I want people to know is people think when they go to their 401k, they need to buy 15 different things. And that's diversification. You have to understand what you're buying. Most investments inside of a 401k plan or an IRA plan have multiple holdings within it. So let's just use like a target date fund in your 401k plan. That's going to have thousands of holdings in it. That is well diversified. So more doesn't mean more diversification. If you're buying individual stocks, you got to buy a bunch of them, right? But diversification is boring. And here's why you're admitting defeat. When you diversify, you admit defeat because you're saying, I can't pick the one stock that's going to do the best out of these 10,000. So I'm going to buy a whole bunch of them. And what happens is some go up, some go down, and it gets us this nice average rate of return, hopefully. And if you think about how great wealth's been created in this, this country, and Daniel Crosby in his book, The Laws of Wealth, actually talks about this. Owning one stock is the way to get uber rich. Elon Musk, Tesla, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, Bill Gates, just the list goes on and on. Jeff Bezos, but for all the people who've done that, how many of those that, people actually exist? Very, very, very few in the world. Right. So that's why diversification is boring, and it's appropriate for most people. So unless you have a privately held company, diversification is going to be your friend. So those are the first two. The third boring pillar would be avoid making frequent changes, as we said previous more changes doesn't mean better. I mean, what are you going to switch from the 2030 fund to the 2035? Do you know what the incremental difference is? Almost nothing. It's different if you're going from a growth style portfolio, you're transitioning to the distribution phase of your life and you're going to transition to this like dividend paying portfolio that's going to, you know, provide income. That's like a reasonable change. But here's how most people make changes at the end of the year. They get their list of their 401k, the returns of all the funds, which one did best last year, and that's where they invest their money. Yeah. And oh, it's I'm likely getting, not going to do the best yeah. this year. And if you go back, Dalbar does a study of how average investors do versus the market. The average investor almost all the time lags the, just the S&P 500 by a large margin. And it's because... The, the average investor believes they need to make changes.
Yeah, and I, and when it's certainly, uh, I mean, making frequent changes in the like just in the trades you're making, yeah, that's going to eat up a lot of the return. And I think, I think when we talk about changes, I think what successful investors do is they have a strategy, like at, for accumulation, a strategy for transitioning into retirement. And they might make changes within that strategy, but they're not they're not wholesale saying, oh, I was this type of investor last year. This year, I'm going to be this type of investor. Here's the reason you'd make a change, because you've got personalized advice. You have a financial plan. You have a premier vision document. And this now says, hey, I was an investor that needed an 80% stock portfolio to be successful. And now, based upon what's happened in the market or my life circumstances, I need a 60 or a 90 or 100% stock portfolio. That's why you make a change. Not because you think you should make a change, because that's the right thing to do. And one thing that happens, Elias, in last year's a good year. Let's just say the market went up 20% last year, right? And we have an investor at 50% stocks and 50% bonds. Well, their stock portfolio is up 20%. So now that investor is a 60% stock, 40% bond investor by no fault of their own, just by great market performance. The fourth pillar is re rebalancing. Yeah, it might be time to rebalance your portfolio. And all rebalancing is, is taking the profits from the stock and buying more bonds. So it actually exhibits the number one rule of investing, buy low, sell high. And you don't have to figure out when that time is. If you do regular rebalancing, you're exhibiting the number one investor behavior by low sell high. So that actually leads into the last segment. And you know, I know the first two shows of this year, we've told people that we're going to have a segment every single episode about challenging blanket financial advice, because that's the most of the advice people are getting out there. And not that blanket advice is bad, but it is meant for everybody. And I believe most people have their own unique financial situation. And this year's or this week's uh, challenge to blanket advice is going to talk about the order of withdrawals. And this is highly debated. A lot of people have uh, different strategies on how you should do this. Like, oh, you take all your taxable money first, so you let your Roth money grow forever. Like, there's all these different rules of thumb people have come up with. I'm going to tell you how we do it here. We put together what's called the premier bucket strategy. And that strategy really revolves around prioritizing how much income you need, where it's going to come from. And we're starting to take the emotion out of investing because everybody has a liquid bucket, an income bucket, a growth bucket, and then a legacy bucket. And, and if we start to prioritize money in these buckets, it helps people psychologically avoid the, what should I do when the market goes down 20%? Because we know that growth sleeve is there for six plus years. And going into retirement without a withdrawal strategy is the number one thing that can blow you up. I think it also, you know, it also helps people stick to those, the pillars of being successful. Like, you just mentioned the market going down. Well, we were talking about rebalancing when the market goes up. It's also a good strategy to, we've had a great year in the market, so let's rebalance. Where human nature would say, oh, this is doing great. Let's keep riding. 
let's keep riding that wave. Well, that's, you don't, that's not what your strategy has dictated. You're going to do this. You've already decided, Hey, I do need to rebalance and sell some of these winners and then redistribute into the other buckets that I have in my portfolio because I'm trying to generate income. I'm trying to make these accounts last over time. Well, here's the other reason people need really personalized advice with their withdrawal strategy. Everybody's tax situation is different. Everybody. Some people may need to utilize some of their tax deferred accounts or their taxable accounts or their Roth accounts, depending upon their tax situation. So let's just throw this out there. We talk to people about diversification between asset classes, stocks, bonds, and cash. But we also talk about diversification by tax type. Taxable, which is bank, brokerage type accounts. Tax deferred, which are 401ks, IRAs, and tax-free money. A great withdrawal strategy may be taking some money from each of those to maximize your tax situation. We're not given tax advice, but it's fairly easy to see where you're going to fall in a tax bracket. And that should have some reasoning as to why you're taking money from a specific account. If it doesn't, if it doesn't, why? I mean, we have clients every year who say, Hey, we need to either take out extra or convert some money to a Roth because we want to maximize our tax bracket. You know, we're in the 12%. We want to use up that entire tax bracket this year. Now, is it more work for your advisor to do that? Yeah. Guess what's easy? Yep, we'll just send you $3,000 a month from this account. That's easy. But is it best and prudent for the individual in their situation? Maybe, maybe not. Right. You don't, you don't know. You don't know unless you have a unique strategy that's built around your goals, right? That's like you just you don't really you don't know if you're winging it, you're just winging it. Or if you're saying, oh, I'm going to use up all my pre-tax accounts before I tap any other account. Well, maybe that's a good idea. We'd really, we don't know unless we actually figure it out. It may be perfectly fine, but we don't know. And that's why we believe in the world of personalized advice. If somebody listening to the show or watching the show wants to get, uh, wants help getting some personalized advice, we'd be happy to help you at btwellshow.com. We can show you how to get 2024 kind of started in the right direction. You can get your personalized one-page Premier Vision document by visiting btwellshow.com, or you can click the link in the description of this video. Do uh, you have any other takeaways from today's show, Eli? No, no, I don't. I think you did a really great job wrapping it up there. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want to keep getting more content like this, please follow us on social media. I want to thank everybody for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. 
All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks including possible loss of principal. Dollar cost averaging involves continuous investment in securities. Regardless of fluctuation in price levels of such securities, an investor should consider their ability to continue purchasing through fluctuating price levels. Such a plan does not assure profit and does not protect against loss.